irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill only on LA Talk Radio. Well, Happy New Year's Eve, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill. Now, before we get started with today's show, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, the lovely folks over at Markham Search. Markham Search offers premier recruiting services, both on the temporary and the direct hire side throughout the United States. So a special thank you to our sponsors over at Markham Search for making today's show possible. Today we have with us on the show, Diane Huff. Diane is the accidental career coach and is a marketing guru, a university professor, and an author of two best-selling career guides. She wrote her first book, Brand You, to land your dream job, to teach her students and young professionals how to find a great job, get hired, and jumpstart their careers. When she discovered that baby boomers, that baby boomers unemployment crisis, she then wrote her new book, Reinvent Your Career, Beat Age Discrimination to Land Your Dream Job. She is the founder of DefeatAgeDiscrimination.org, dedicated to changing the way America hires, inspires, and retires most of its its experienced workers. Thanks so much for joining us today, Diane. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great to be here with you and with your audience. Yes, I'm so excited. What a very apropos topic. New year, new you, new career. So tell my listeners a little bit about your history and about how it was you came to be a career expert. Well, I'm not really a a human resources professional like so many career coaches. I come from the marketing world. I worked in corporate marketing for big companies like Johnson & Johnson, Frito-Lay, Carnation, CBS. So I've always been a brand marketer and a branding expert. Um, A couple years ago, I started teaching marketing at two universities in the evening, and I was shocked to discover that my bright, talented students did not have a clue on how to get a job. So I went home and worked feverishly and wrote a presentation, which grew up to be a seminar, which grew up to be a webinar, which grew up to be a book to teach them the marketing um, skills that I teach them in class on how to market a product and how to apply them for themselves, to market themselves, because I believe that we need to market ourselves like a brand. We are a brand. We have to establish ourselves like a brand so you get the benefit of brand recognition and brand preference. You know, it's so funny that you say that because it's true. I remember being a college student myself and not knowing which way was up or down. I mean, we spend so much time learning English or learning mathematics, and nobody teaches us how to get a darn job after you graduate college. And some people are still stumbling around trying to figure it out 20 or 30 years later. Right, and and most colleges have career services, and they ha- they offer training, but it's not a class, and it's not mandatory. And so, if it's not required, um, students just don't do it. They're they're torn between what's uh, what's um, important right now in terms of I have a deadline, I have a paper to turn in, you know, what's urgent and what's important. And so I just found these bright, talented kids, and these were seniors with degrees in marketing from the business school, did not know how to write a resume or build a LinkedIn page. So I've kind of really worked on helping to communicate um, how you do that um, for college students and then discovering that there's this whole other age spectrum, which is my generation, baby boomers, who are also equally clueless 
in terms of the industry has changed so much in the last 10 years. Things have become digital, online, global. Um, everything is, is SEO, search, keywords, that they don't know how to find those jobs because the skills that they learn um, aren't related to that online job search where half of all jobs are secured. So let's talk about that. We're moving into 2019 tomorrow. Talk to me a little bit about what job seekers, be it college graduates or baby boomers, can anticipate that might be differences than we've seen in the market in 2019 as compared to 2018. Well, I think there's a a continuing rapid shift towards automation, towards, um, you know, um, what I call the resume reading robots, which are algorithms which um, companies use to um, recruit employees and to qualify them. And some of the statistics that are really scary are that today a job, any job you apply for, not a fancy job, not vice president of marketing of Google, but your local bookkeeping job or any job that you want, a thousand people around the world see that job posted on any online board. And then about 200 people start to complete the application about a half quit before they're done and 100 people apply for every job. But then the computer goes through and sorts and grades and looks for screening criteria and keyword matches. And generally a computer kicks out about three quarters of the applications before a human being ever sees them and spends seven seconds looking at them before saying, yeah, no, yeah, no, and kind of rejecting them. So you really need to know how to navigate that system, and it's getting more and more automated. More companies are adopting it, and now there are computer bots that are sending text messages and confirming things. So it's becoming more and more automated. So if you don't know how to navigate that um, online digital process, you have very little chance of getting your resume seen by all the right people. So let's talk about that for a moment then. How does the layperson out there who's thinking, gosh, you know, I want to find my dream job in 2019 and now I'm disheartened based on what Dan is saying is that my resume is just going to go into this black abyss and never be found. How can somebody circumnavigate that or be sure that their resume rises to the top of the pile? Well, you just need to learn, you need to understand the process, and you need to learn how to customize your resume to a job opening. So every time that you submit a resume, you should customize it to the job. And that means um, looking at the job description, not just say, oh, sounds interesting, boom, send off my resume. You have very little chance. But actually reading the job description, finding out what the customer really wants, the employer wants, looking at the keywords, because the keywords should be very relevant, um, of both the characteristics that they want for you as a job. They're going to say, I want, you know, five-plus years experience. I want an MBA. I want somebody with, with QuickBooks experience, whatever it is. And they're going to tell you what they want this person to achieve in the job, and then you have to make sure that your resume has those keywords in it prominently displayed so that it gets selected and matched because the computer is doing a CEO or a search engine optimization. It's, going to, it's looking for a list of keywords, and it needs to match it to the keywords in your resume or you will have a low score and be kicked out. So you just need to really personalize each um, resume. I'm doing a lot of resume writing and coaching and I've kind of developed kind of a new understanding of ways to use career objectives. And I like to see a career objective on the resumes that I write. 
And they're not the career objectives that you and I think of in the past. You say, oh, I want to grow and develop, you know, and I want to gain experience. No, no, no. The career objective is the employer's objective. So you need to harvest that job description and look and say, what does the employer want this job or this person in this job to accomplish and do for them? And then build the employer's objective in as the career objective, and then just showcase the specific skills that you have that reassure that employer that you have the skills to meet his objective. It's the other way of thinking. It's not about you. It's about them. How are you going to meet their needs rather than how is the job going to meet your needs? That makes sense? It does, but I would love to delve into this a little bit further because there's a lot of different schools of thought on whether you should have an objective, you shouldn't, you should replace an objective with a summary of qualifications. So can you give me an example of somebody who might say that I want to be a bookkeeper? Let's stick with the bookkeeper example. So in days of old, somebody might have an objective on the resume that says, bookkeeper looking for a position with a small company to utilize my skills. That might have been what an objective looked like 5, 10, 20 years ago. So can you elaborate a little bit more on what it is, how that would look for somebody if they were using your method? Well, I would say use my my um, my degree in finance, 15 years of experience in all ranges of accounting, my expertise in QuickBooks, to develop a robust accounting and financial management system for your company that will allow it to operate smoothly and and um, easily with um, an uh, you know an understanding of the profitability of the company at all times. I might just made that up. Uh, that's right. good. That was but, very good off the cuff. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah. Probably. What what does the employer want? So I'm going to use you know what are the key credentials? I have a college degree in finance. I have a CPA certification. I use QuickBooks and I have 15 years of experience. Okay, that's that's the qualifications. Allow me to meet your goal is to give you ongoing transparency. You know, astute financial management. You know, whatever it is to meet your goal. Awesome. And I love then that. So, I'd like. Yeah, then I follow that up with a summary of skills and qualifications that backs up the qualifications that I just said that I had. So I'm gonna can I play devil's advocate with you on that? Because there's something I've noticed sure. personally, and I'm curious if you're seeing something different in the market. One of the things that somebody taught me years ago, and I found it to be very true for myself in the 15 years I've been in recruiting, is that as human beings, like you were saying earlier, we kind of sum a resume up within seven seconds. So my experience of what I've been taught is that we scan and we meaning the HR professional or recruiter, whomever it is, once that resume reaches the hiring professional, we scan the first two thirds of the first page only of the resume and the rest just kind of gets blown away unless somebody says something really remarkable that makes somebody want to dig deeper. In your experience, if you have an objective and then you have skills listed below that and then you get into experience, does that push the experience too far down on the resume? Well, it should. your experience should be in the summary of skills. I actually am creating an online course called Above the Fold Resume Writing Course because mm-hmm. it's just like a newspaper. Um, to me, a resume is not a catalog of everything you've ever done. It is like a print ad to get someone to pick up the phone and mm-hmm. say, hmm, that person is who I want. So if you look at a newspaper, Above the Fold is the headline. It's the top half of the front page. To me, all the critical information of your resume should be Above the Fold in the top half of the front page of the resume. And once I have that, then I don't even need, if you write it well, I don't even need to look at the experience. And the experience can be um, highly bulleted, condensed, 
very concise because the the reasons that I should hire you are in this above the fold should be in the first top in the summary. I love that. That's actually, I think that's a great marketing idea. And I think it's very on point for what I've personally experienced with both my clients and internal recruiting as well is you really do have this split second decision, whether we're talking about a resume or networking. I know that this is actually a fun topic. Let's tie this in a little bit. A lot of people might be going out this evening for New Year's Eve. And let's be honest, you never know where you might find your next position. So how can you be effective within seven seconds of meeting someone in the same way of being above the fold with a resume? Well, it starts with introducing yourself in a personable, engaging, and memorable manner and making that other person feel seen and heard and valued. And so I teach a lot of networking that starts with how you introduce yourself and how you shake hands and how you exchange business cards in a business setting. Socially, you want to make sure that you introduce yourself memorably and you engage the other person in a conversation. So often we want to show how brilliant we are by talking all the time. You only learn something if you're listening. And so when you're networking or engaging people, the more that you ask them Significant questions that get them to talk about themselves, the better off you will be perceived. You, number one, you're going to learn. And number two, they're going to think you're a wonderful conversationist because you talked about their favorite topic, which is them. <laughs> that, right? That's true. Sad but true. <laughs> but it, that's just human nature. But it's not superficial prying. It's, it's engaging in a conversation that's relevant to the person that you're meeting. And it's authentic. We don't want to be inauthentic. We don't want to be cold and manipulating. We're trying to engage one-on-one with somebody, and we want to be memorable and engaging in the process. Yeah, I think it's and about think- asking questions and just getting curious. And rather than asking yes, no, what do you do, just kind of leaving it at that, of just kind of getting curious and leaving an opening for people to express themselves. Yes, and, and to ask their opinion. Everybody wants their opinion to be heard and to ask their thoughts and opinion and feedback. And what happens if this is actually something I don't think we've ever talked about on the show before. Let's say that you're in an interview. Let's move it from a social setting to an interview. And somebody okay. asks you an inappropriate question. It could be like for some of our listeners out there who might not be aware, depending on what state you're in or what part of the world you're in, some inappropriate converse- or questions, for example, in California might be your marital status, gender, um, you know, how you gender or self-identify. It could be, you, you know, they might ask you a question about um, your age, for example, or perhaps they ask you a question in California and New York and a couple of other states. It's now illegal to ask what you're making or what you were making. So how do you delicately dance around that if you don't want to lose the job opportunity? Um, a couple things you could say. Honestly, I don't really feel comfortable talking about that right now. I'd like to go further in and learn more about the job opportunity before we discuss those personal details of my personal life. Mm. Um, or you could deflect the question by saying, huh, I've never had that question before. Why is, why, why is that relevant for what we're talking about right now? Could you help me understand that? Can I offer one thing about switching out a word in what you just said? Somebody once Uh taught me something that I had never considered before, and it's the word why. And when we're asked why, it kind of elicits in most human beings this reactive, defensive response or reaction, more of a reaction rather than a response. Because as children, often our parents might say, 
why weren't your grades? Why were you doing this? You know, the question of why can sometimes become antagonistic or adversarial in an inadvertent way. And so perhaps something to play around with is, oh, could you tell me a little bit about uh, the relevance of this without incorporating why I think might soften the languaging? And I think it's a great idea just to, you know, approach it in a soft, open, non-reactive way. Yeah, that's interesting. I had not heard that. Um, why is one of the key things that I train um, people that I coach is to know your why, which is different from what we were talking about in terms of an inquisitive. But, but companies want to know your purpose. And, and we as job seekers need to be able to say, my why, why do I want to work for you? Why should you hire me? Why am I the best candidate? So you really need to be comfortable expressing your passions and your contributions and, and where, your value, where your personal values are and where you add value to an employer. Yeah, and I do agree that uh, to know, I think it's a, I completely concur with you on the knowing the why, like you need to know your purpose and why you're showing up and what it is you are going to add or contribute or what value you're going to bring to the table. But I'd be curious, I mean, you being a university professor, you might actually have more resources and access to this than I would. But the question of why, when you actually articulate the word why, that's where I believe I'd heard that it can have an, um, a reactionary no, I, response. I, I, yeah, I think that's a great insight. It's not something that I had had heard before, but it's something that I will definitely consider. Yeah, that, that less perhaps aggressive or confrontational way. Like, could you explain to me um, your thinking behind something maybe would be less aggressive or less um, put someone on the spot? Yeah, and it's the only reason I know about this. I don't think it may or may not have been one of my mentors years ago who taught me this, but I had this proclivity to come across as very intense. I remember when people would come in to interview with me for my own office for people I would hire. One of the guys who used to work with me pulled me aside after an interview. He's like, Jen, got to be honest with you. People are a little bit terrified of you because you come across a little bit intense because I would just dive right in as the interviewer and just jump right into, hey, tell me about this and that because I had a limited amount of time. And so one of my colleagues said, you know, you might just want to soften the languaging and just, you know, ask a couple open-ended questions and let them feel a little bit more comfortable. So that way you're seeing their true selves and not just deer in the headlights, so to speak. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I coach that maybe can get through that, one of the things that I like to coach people on is to really research a company and a job before an interview. I think that everybody, if, if a company awards you with a live interview, I think you owe it to the company and to yourself to invest four to eight hours of research mm. and people go, Eight hours, yeah. You need to know everything about that company. So instead of it being a... Um, a, a superior to an inferior asking questions, looking down, give me information, that you as the candidate can turn it into a discussion of mutual interest. So if you come in to a job interview and you're knowledgeable about, about what's happening in the industry and the company and the issues and the concerns they have and the people that you can engage in a conversation of mutual um, goals and needs, so instead of someone saying, well, tell me, you know, so-and-so, you can say, I understand that, that the industry has really been in a lot of transition lately and these major changes have affected the company. Um, how would this position really help the company thrive and overcome these challenges? That puts you at a peer discussion, a challenge, instead of a job applicant, you know, beseeching a job. So I think you can change that why I should hire you to a let's collectively discuss 
things of important to you and the company to move beyond the tell me about yourself. Does that make sense? If you if you position yourself as a, a, a concerned, interested party who wants to help solve challenges, it puts you in a different light with um, an interviewer. I love that idea. I think that's actually brilliant because I've seen it on my own end. Um, you know, I remember last year when I was going through the acquisition uh, process for my company and I had meetings with my, the CEO of the company that wound up acquiring me and the breakfast meetings we had, I never once saw him as somebody who I was below or at a different level than. It was like, oh, this is just Jeff, the CEO of the company, and let's just discuss what the problems are that they're facing and let's collaborate and come up with solutions. And I think that's a brilliant way to approach any job, no matter what sort of position that you're applying for. Because if you go in, like you said, beseeching the employer or coming from a place of fear, doubt, worry, lack, I need this job. I, I've so often throughout my career heard people say things and they'll be like, oh, why do you want the job? Oh, I need it. I have to put food on the table, you know, and that, that sense of desperation really comes out. And then it's fear-based as opposed to one of contribution and confidence just an idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I talk about um, often is I encourage any professional with any decent amount of experience, five, 10 more years of experience to set up their own consulting company, generally in your own name, because it often allows you to meet peer to peer with who will be your hiring manager instead of go through the hiring process where you are steered and, and, and vetted through human resources. Because then you're in this, I'm going to ask questions to see why you're qualified. If you can engage the hiring manager with a high-level discussion of needs, and if I'm a consultant, I'm bringing you solutions. I'm bringing you vision and opportunity. If I have a, even a small one-person you know, part-time consulting job, I approach it as a consultative discussion with you about your goals, your needs, and see if I can bring value to helping you re achieve those goals. That puts you in a completely different level. Um, and then the H, if the hiring manager wants, he can say, hey, to the, the HR department, I'm, I'm very interested. Would you, you know, do all the background checks? But I really like this candidate. I'd like to explore some more. Puts you in a much better position to engage at high level if you can come in with the credential of a, your own company as opposed to relying on the formal hiring process and the vetting process that starts by going through HR and a recruiter looking at your credentials and being vetted. So I've actually never heard that before, and I would love to pick your brain on this a little bit to further understand. So does it matter as a hypothetical? I think in some cases I've seen this happen in IT or accounting cases where it's obviously very helpful for an employer. There's less liability and risk if somebody, if one party, say, has an LLC or some sort of a corporation. But at the same time, if you just created a shell company just for this sole purpose, and then the company in question who's doing the interviewing says, oh, can I speak with some of your references or clients? I would imagine that might backfire if you're unable to provide actual legitimate companies or corporate records for your company. Does that make sense? Well, I think that everybody can become a sole, sole proprietor of their own company as long as it's in your own name. And you can do pro bono work. You can also mention clients that you've worked with. But I've actually had, had clients that I had consulting clients who actually hired me away 
you know, to work full-time for them. So I was able to engage with them through a consulting or contract basis, and then they liked me so much they said, hey, would you come and work with me? And then I hired someone to take over the existing clients that I had um, and made them the account manager so I could focus 100%. So you need to have a, 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 a web page that talks about your credentials. You need to say, yes, I, I help people. Um, I don't think that you want to set up that you have a big company, but I have, I, I do consulting work and I help people and, and coach them or support them, um, on a contract basis if needed. Yeah, I, I actually think that's a brilliant idea. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Diane, because I've, especially coming into the new year, one of the things people don't realize too, is even if you only have one or two consulting clients per year, that's still a write-off. And then you have an opportunity to write certain expenses off like gas and other things that you wouldn't think of. And I think it can be a win-win for an employer when you have something like that set up and you're also helping to build your brand. Something as easy as a WordPress site. You know, I had a friend the other day who runs his own company and he was just using WordPress and you can hop on WordPress and for a minimal investment, you could create that, go to Vistaprints, either get free business cards printed, you know, with Vistaprints logo or, you know, go to Vistaprint and pay a minimal amount. And within you know, a week or so, you could have a corporation set up to consult. So I think that's a great idea, especially as people start to explore what they want their new year to look like. And you don't really need a corporation. You need a company. And if you have your name in the title, it can be a sole practitioner, and you don't even need to do a fictitious name. So you could just say, if I say Diane who's Consulting Services, I'm a sole practitioner. I don't have to have an LLC. Now, if you start running a significant amount of business through there and you have professional liability, yeah, you want to do some formal stuff. I think most people, like you say, um, you don't do so much revenue that it becomes an issue. But there are all sorts of tax um, liabilities. I mean, not tax savings of the home office. Yeah, there's a lot of great things you can do there. Yeah, and I think it's great. I tell so many job seekers out there, even just people who are unemployed and not working, I say open, invest. I mean, I have a lot of people who even do MLM sort of stuff on the side, whether it's Mary Kay or Arbon, because if you have another revenue stream, that gives you opportunities and options. And like you said, it only becomes an issue if you start making a lot of revenue. Well, that would be a happy problem to have. Imagine it's January 1st of 2019, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm not employed. I'm going to go do what Diane suggested. I'm going to go create a consulting company. And then next thing you know, you've made all the money you need to make in the year in six months. And now you have a choice. Do you go back to work for other people or do you keep this up? And that's a win-win either way. One situation, yes, you have to deal with the tax side and the business and insurance side. On the other side, you now have an opportunity to write something off and add additional value to a company. So I think it's a great idea. That's a win-win for everybody. And, and the workplace is changing dramatically. Um, one of the stats I saw is about 40% of jobs will be contract employee, 1099 versus um, W-2 jobs going forward in the future. So we need to be um, aware that the job that you want, J-O-B, may not be a salaried come into the office, sit in this chair, and work from 8 to 5. Um, getting work done with a common goal, you may be working at home in your bunny slippers on a contract basis. And more and more people will be in this gig called a gig economy or a freelancer subcontracting economy. And it's much more attractive for companies. And I see a wholesale shift from in-office salaried employees to contract employees paid on, on performance. And we need to be aware of that happening and not look away from those jobs. 
yes, the best of all jobs. Maybe, yes, I want full benefits. I want, you know, the corporate umbrella. I may want all these wonderful, you know, group benefits. But if the choice is doing a contract for that company or not getting any job, you're better off doing consulting. And often people will love you so much that they'll employ you on a contract basis and then say, hey, I want you to lead my team or I want you to come on board or, or join the company. It's a great, easy, inexpensive, safe way for companies to try you out and make sure that you fit into the team on a contract basis. And then once they know you're, you're a known value, then they can bring you into the corporate you know, hierarchy. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy you suggested that. And I love that we touched on the gig economy, a little bit about resume writing, networking. I think we've touched on a lot of things that people need to know going into 2019. So that said, Diane, are there any other tips or points that you would love the listeners to walk away from today's show with and bring with them into 2019? Yes, this is probably the best time in the last 40 years to be looking for a job. Um, The economy is robust. There are more jobs open. There are employees looking for them. This is the lowest unemployment historically across all um, age groups and demographics and, and, and everything. So this is a great time to find a new job. It does not necessarily mean find a new company. You could and should leverage your relationship with your current employer and look for another job within your company. Look for promotion, look for a raise, look for a lateral opportunity to transfer into a related division or a different division. Stay loyal to the company as an option and look for other ways to leverage your industry expertise and your know-how and take a, a lateral promotion. Many CEOs and many top leaders have been shifted dramatically to a different functional area to get expertise in that area before they can be promoted upwards. And I know of many salespeople who get shoved into manufacturing on their way up to be CEO or things like that. So we shouldn't shy away from lateral promotions. We should actually seek them out. And I think the other thing is um, to embrace a lifelong learning mentality, and that is you are responsible for your own career. And because turnover is so great in so many industries today, companies are investing less and less in on-the-job employee training, and you have got to bring your own skills to the table. So we need to be looking at how can I increase my current skill set. When I was an employer for a big company, I never thought about going back to school on my own and gaining certifications, but why not? We should be all looking at new certifications. Jennifer, I got two master's degrees 42 years ago. Does that matter to anyone? What matters is that I built... No, it doesn't. It's 42 years ago. It's old history. What matters is I built my business Facebook page to 106,000 followers. That is more relevant to an employer in marketing today than my credentials from a million years ago. And so we have to keep learning new technologies. We need to do what I call tech up, and that is embrace technology, which is accelerating exponentially for everybody. And, and dedicate yourself to learning new skills, learning new technologies, learning new areas, because businesses and, and all jobs are changing dramatically with technology. You must dedicate yourself to continued professional and personal development to, to stay relevant and thought after. I love that. I think you've given our listeners a lot to look forward to and a lot to think about as they head out onto their New Year's Eve and begin to look into what they want their 2019 to look like. So tell our listeners, Dan, where can people find you? Say if they want to hire you as a career coach or find out about these great online programs that you're offering, where would they find that information? My website is my page, Diane 
Huth, D-I-A-N-E-H-U-T-H.com. And could I give all of your listeners a free gift? Oh, absolutely. Happy New Year, everybody. Dan's giving you a free gift. <laughs> yes. How does it get any um, better? <laughs> I have a 15-page a kind of career checklist to see where you are on your career journey, how well you are to uh, prepare to start your new job search. And you can go to HireMeNowPlease.com, HireMeNowPlease.com, and, um, and give me your email address, and you'll get a PDF download of this, this detailed, you know, step-by-step job checklist to make sure that you are ready to start your job search i love that diane well thank you so much for joining us on your new year's eve and wishing everybody out there a safe wonderful magical and memorable new year's eve and a fantastic 2019 so tune in next week for our first show of the new year uh, monday at 4 p.m pacific standard time and do remember that if you miss any portion of today's show it will be available for download immediately after the show on latalkradio.com on the Get Yourself the Job page at the bottom of the page under the archives section. And the show is also available for download this show or any other show that we've done on iTunes under Get Yourself the Job on iTunes. We invite you to subscribe, listen at your leisure, leave us any comments, feedbacks, ratings. All of that helps us to grow the show and it wouldn't be possible without your listenership. So thank you so much for this wonderful year that everybody has tuned in and all the wonderful guests we've had. And thank you for finishing out the year strong with us, Diane. Thank you so much. Cheers, everybody. Have a wonderful 2019. All right. Cheers. You're listening to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill, only on L.A. Talk Radio.